Shalom. Welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We are beginning right now um, on this particular podcast. Uh, what we hope for is a series of podcasts that are going to touch on various aspects of health. Uh, I guess it's in keeping with the time of the year, February, heart month, et cetera, et cetera. But the health and wellness issue comes up so many times uh, in the work that we do in Jewish Sacred Aging that we thought we'd devote a couple of works, a couple of sessions, a couple of podcasts to this and to be the leadoff batter, if I can lapse into some baseball imagery, uh, thankfully, <laughs> it is with a great pleasure that we welcome to today's show, Dr. Jesse Abesh, um, a geriatrician uh, practicing here in Southern New Jersey at a variety of facilities. And um, Dr. Abish, welcome. Welcome. Thank it's a real pleasure to, to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Happy to be here. Great. So there's so much I want to unpack with you. Um, you uh, practice at a variety of different facilities uh, and a specialty in geriatrics. So let me just jump into the, I guess, the, 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 the subject that's in a lot of, on a lot of articles and books like this in this concept of successful aging. You deal with this all the time. You're a geriatrician. How do you define it? So I think it's different for everyone. I have patients that are in a nursing home in their 60s, and they say, well, my mom passed away when she was 60, so I just want to make it to 70. And they're happy just making it to a certain age. I have patients that are 100 that are social, that are going down to dinner with their peers every night, that are going to Shabbat services, that are active and exercising, that are going to lectures, and they want to keep going as long as possible. So I really think the idea of successful aging centers around being physically active and cognitively engaged and uh, keeping your cognition, not developing memory loss or dementia, being able to function by yourself and take care of yourself. Um, but it really is different for everyone, depending upon your genetics, what diseases you have, and um, also your activity level. That's a giant part of successful aging, I feel. Jesse, how, how much does genetics have to play in this? Um, I think genetics plays a large role, but I think taking care of yourself, exercising, eating properly can mitigate some genetic factors that we all have. Uh, and let me get to another one, because this comes up all the time. and. Just with the growth of dementia and Alzheimer's, as, as the baby wounds especially live longer and longer and longer, there's a ton of articles and books now, how to, how to delay the onset of Alzheimer's. If you eat this or if you run, if you, you do 10,000 steps a day, or, um, I just saw something in an article the other day about an experiment, I think out of Norway that, um, some sort of plasma, taking plasma and then re-injecting it. And that's supposed to, I, what's the story with, is this all this? Like, so hype? research is exploding into dementia. There's so many treatments now that are costly that maybe people couldn't get 10 years ago. Infusions that are supposed to be affecting the plaques in our brain that right. um, turn a normal brain into a brain with Alzheimer's dementia or frontotemporal dementia or vascular dementia. But the truth of the matter is um, these treatments, we still have a lot to learn about them. We have a lot to learn. But the, you know, if we want to look at simple things like keeping ourselves acti active, cardiac exercise, maintaining our blood pressure, not smoking, 
not drinking to excess, um, exercising for 30 minutes a day to the point where we're out of breath, that affects our brain health and our heart health. And if your brain and heart are the healthiest they can be, there is less risk of getting dementia. Um, but as we say, genetics do also play a role with this. So to a point, you can affect your risk. And most of us doing those things um, can lessen our risk of developing memory loss, cognitive decline, and dementia. But there is also a genetic role. So I do want to just you know, say that. Yes, I teach medical students. Um, I teach residents, family medicine, primary care residents. And um, I did also want to say one thing about aging that I think I've learned that is so interesting. So when I started working in nursing homes, I thought I was only going to be seeing 90-year-olds, 95-year-olds, but it's not true in this day and age. I've actually seen people in their 40s that have end-stage processes. I've seen people that are unfortunately so heavy that they can't get around themselves. So when we think about aging, I'm really thinking about your body and what you're able to do for yourself, not just if you're 98 years old or you're 78 years old. Talk to me a little bit about this alleged, I guess it's not a legend anymore because I think the statistics are proving it, this increase in obesity and what impact it is on health. It's such, it, it cannot be overstated the impact in health. I think every day all of us is seeing a headline about Ozempic or these new medications, oh, yeah, people yeah, trying right. to get them, maybe maybe not pursuing the tried and true changes to our activity levels, our diet, but it can't be overstated the effects of obesity. One thing I learned going through my medical education was this concept of sarcopenic obesity. What does that mean? That is a big word that basically means somebody, if you're looking at two patients and one is 98 pounds and, and one is 350 pounds, but both of those people don't have a lot of lean muscle. They might not have the ability to stand up from their chair quickly or without using their arms, or they might not even be able to do it at all. So that the obesity and having a high level of fat and also a low level of lean muscle, that affects your fitness, your heart health, um, and your ability to do your activities of daily living yourself. So I really can't overstate how important maintaining a healthy weight, maintaining your muscle mass, your core strengths, and your heart health are if you do want to make it you know, into your 80s, 90s, or beyond, and be able to be active. But is it true uh, that you can be a little, you can be, you can be overweight, according to the statistics, but still be healthy? Yes, I think so. I think yeah. certain people just, the way their bodies are made up, they could be like, okay, take, let's just say, take somebody my age, mid 30s, 36, and maybe they're five, six, but maybe they're really strong, really muscular. They can work out at the gym and they might be 175, 180 pounds. So technically they are overweight, maybe even bordering into obese, but still they're strong. Their blood pressure is good. Uh, they have a lot of muscle. So I do think there are exceptions to the rule. Yes. So somebody I'm sure will come to see you or you'll talk to a patient and they'll be, let's say, in their mid seventies and you say, you really should really drop, you know, cause you're sedentary. Right. Say, no, I tried. I, I, I just am too old. Is, are you ever too old to manage your weight and to lose weight? And how much more difficult is it when you're older? I, it is, it is harder. It is harder. 
But um, I also think that kind of mirrors that elderly persons can be afraid to exercise. And I think the weight is kind of connected to that too. Maybe looking at it as the activity level and not just the number on the scale uh, is important and making sure they're eating protein is also important. That's uh, another trend um, with heart health is eating these lean proteins. Um, So wait, I'm sorry, did I answer your question? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. But it, but you said it's it, as as you get to be my age, it's harder to lose it's harder weight. Harder to lose weight, but I do think building that activity in every day and being more mindful of what you're consuming, you definitely can lose weight. Question: uh, I've heard this. The older I get, the less hungry I am. Um, yeah. You know, is that true or false? As you get older, you're not able to discriminate certain tastes as well between sour and salt, for example. So a lot of my patients will say to me, food doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't taste like it used to, um, or they have to heavily salt it to really taste it. So that is something we see. But one thing I see very frequently is patients, when they're at end of life and maybe they're in those final few months, they are not as hungry. Their bodies are slowing down. And that can be really distressing to families. They think they're starving and they really try to feed them aggressively. And I have to kind of counsel them that this is part of the natural uh, winding down process right. of the human body. So let, let me just do a, a little bit of rapid fire questions that come up all the time. I'm sure you get, deal with this every single day. Um, this BMI index. Yes. So how valid is this? You know, uh, you have to have a 30 me, below me, 30. It's yeah, not. It, For me it, as a geriatrician, it's not valid because I'm looking at, is somebody able to walk themselves? Are they falling a ton? Um, the number on the scale and the BMI does not reflect how much muscle or fat they have. Um, so for me, it's just not that important. Sleep. So important. Seven to nine hours a night. Uh, wow. As patients age, the levels of that deep um, REM sleep decrease and they might be waking up more frequently. It's a problem I have a lot where they're using the bathroom multiple times at night. Um, getting that rest is really, really important. Um, blood pressure. Very important. Um, is there a, well, 120 it, over 80? Is that the gold no, standard? It's not, or? That, it's not that simple for everyone. It depends on your age. It depends on if you're falling a lot. It can depend on what other medicines you're on. And... Um, it can be tailored a little bit. Uh, diabetics, we want to make sure their blood pressure is regularly controlled in that 130 to 140 range, depending on their age. But if you're 90, um, let's take, for example, a patient that is up in her apartment, nobody's with her for most of the day. Uh, if her blood pressure drops too low and she falls and hits her head, um, she could really be in trouble. Maybe no one will find her. Maybe she fractures her hip. So I actually am more concerned about low blood pressure in a lot of my patients. Low, L-O-W, is that what you said? Low? low yes. Low. Uh, and then um, falling. I keep, you know, every time I, I see somebody just yeah. go downhill rapidly. Right. It falls. They, they say, we fell. Somebody fell. I, I broke a hip. I yeah. was in it. Yes. How, how, how do you tell your patients? to um, go through their apartment or their house 
and do little things. I'm sure there are little things I've heard. Right. The rug, right. lighting, this setting to prevent falls. So fall, uh, you're right. Falls are a huge issue. I tell everyone, see your doctor after you fall because a fall usually is just the tip of the iceberg and it can mean other things are going awry. If it's the medicines you're on, your blood pressure, your balance, your vision, uh, your environment, like you said. So usually a good thing to keep in our toolkit is that home safety evaluation. For example, Fox uh, Occupational Therapy does one. Somebody will go out to their ha their home, look at the lighting, look at obstacles on the floor, if there's throw rugs, um, whatever it may be, if they need a fall pendant or a life alert, something like that. So I really try to pull in a lot of different team members if they need physical therapy, if they need to go to the eye doctor, um, you know, they're, and then, of course, the most important thing for me is seeing how they're actually walking. And it's very easy to see if somebody's having problems. So how important is the annual physical? Or the Medicare annual well visit? Is that what you're well, talking about? What, however you want to call okay. I, I, well, I, I, mean, I think, well, full, I'm, full disclosure, I'm obsessive about this. I make sure I have a total... Physical, physical every year one, with all the blood and the, no. and the scans. I think it's great. I think that everybody, especially if you're over 65, should be seeing your doctor every year for blood work, for a blood pressure check, um, to talk about these different issues with your family physician, your internal medicine physician, whatever it may be. Another thing that we didn't bring up that kind of comes into successful aging that I'm sure you talk about in other podcasts is this idea of contingency planning having a living will? Would you want CPR? Would you want to be intubated? Would you want a feeding tube if, God forbid, you were very critically ill? And that's another thing that primary care physicians should talk to our patients about. Sometimes we run out of time and we don't have time to talk about it. And then a patient might be in a very weak spot and the family doesn't know what they would have wanted. So that's another a uh, whole discussion that you can have with your primary care physician and also with your family. Yeah, this, this comes up a lot. And Jewishly, there's a whole literature on guidance. In fact, on almost every, well, not, that's, that's rabbinic hyperbole. Many of the sessions that we do as part of our work in congregations is the how to make a, a Jewish decision at the end of life and take yeah. walks you through exactly what you're talking about. Right, and it's and challenging. All the and, and the developing of a care plan and et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the, 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 the uh, you've mentioned this a couple of times, there's an article almost every week, some, in some newspaper, magazine, et cetera, et cetera, is saying, and this is very Jewish, by the way, no matter how old you are, Right. Get up off the couch, walk, yes. Yes. do something, lift a weight, get on the exercise bike. Mm -hmm. How crucial is exercise? I, It's the most crucial thing you can do for yourself. And I think it's worth saying that exercise doesn't mean you have to join an expensive gym and hop on the elliptical for two hours every day and lift 60 pound weights. It can be as simple as vacuuming your stairs. It can be walking your dog for half an hour. Really, most people should be working out a to the point where they're out of breath if to preserve function and increase their heart health when they are older than 65. But I think that um, this idea of exercise has kind of come into this niche market and it's really staying active. 
And, um, you know, like I was just schlepping up the steps with my vacuum and that was getting my heart rate up. So I want people to think that it can be biking, it can be yoga, it can be swimming, it can be dancing, but also you can open up your laptop and look on YouTube videos about, you know, standing up from your chair and doing exercises that are made for senior citizens that are very easily accessible and no cost or low cost. So uh, in various parts of the country, uh, you can turn on the television or, or and see these advertisements for the the benefits of full body scans, whether you need it or not, and they are costly. But they say if you you take one of these things and uh, the radiation is okay and it could pick up something. And then I've heard other people say, "Wait a minute, a lot of this is false positive." They'll see a little speck, and some right. people will run. And what what's your opinion professionally on these? I would not advise that. And I'll tell you why. The question would always be, if you found an abnormality, if it's a breast nodule, if it's a lung nodule, a cyst on your kidney, um, one, would you want to know about it? Would you be wrecked with anxiety after finding that out? And of course, you know, it doesn't make sense to do this type of scans for people that will not live longer than 10 years is what the literature says, um, our preventative uh, guidelines. But... Um, so the question is, if you found something abnormal, what would you do about it? Would you even do anything? All right, so I think that this is really like more of a gimmick or a money-making exercise. It's not something I would recommend a full body PET scan. Which is another reason why, you know, the annual physical with your physician. Right. The, um, we've just come out of this pandemic. I I'm interested to see in the facilities that you deal with, um, what have you seen is the impact of this epidemic of isolation? And the flip side of that is how important is it as we get older to maintain healthy social relationships? I would actually uh, say that we're still going through the epidemic, if you can believe that. I still have a lot of patients testing positive for COVID in our facilities. They are still being put under isolation for 10 days, which is kind of crazy at this point in 2024, um, but that is our Department of Health guidelines, unfortunately, and the effects of isolation on our patients, especially in our patients with dementia, they're devastating. And um, our patients were falling more when they were under isolation, whether it's in uh, somewhere like an assisted living or a nursing home, or if it's in their apartments or their homes. They're falling more, they're dehydrated, they're depressed, they're less active, um, maybe they're not eating as much. So. You know, we did have a few times we had to go up to people's apartments and they didn't even have food in their fridge. Um, so the effects of isolation are very troubling. And if a patient has a family that maybe wasn't afraid of COVID, they were coming in, that can mitigate that. But for a lot of patients, they really suffered. And you're still seeing this right now, right? Not, so not to the extent when it first hit because patients are vaccinated and they're not deathly ill and they're not going out to the hospital, most well, generally speaking. So, but we are still seeing a lot of patients testing positive for COVID, absolutely. Uh, since February is Heart Health Month, I think, and, and, and you've mentioned this, alluded to this about keeping your activity and your is there is there an ideal um, 
maximum heart rate? Or does it depend upon age and physical ability? I mean, so if the traditional teaching was your maximum heart rate was 220 minus your age. So what that basically means is as you get older, you don't have to work as hard to exercise your heart. Um, however, there are some tweaks to this formula in the literature that account for some different factors. Um, but I think the 220 minus your age is a good rule. And the resting heart rate, is there, if you have a resting heart rate, let's say in your 70s, 80s, in the 50s or 60s, yeah. that, is that a, a sign that your heart is more healthy than? I wouldn't go just by that. Okay. I think it's more complex than that. And I would also, the caveat would be a lot of, you know, patients could be on medicines that slow down their heart rate. Um, so I think that depends on the person. In your practice, how do you guard against dealing with older adults who may have a whole slew of medications to make sure that medication A is getting along with medication right. B? You know, it's such, it's so hard because people will come down or they'll have this list on their chart that's really 20, 25, 30 medicines. And it's wow. maybe not current. And sometimes what I do if I don't feel confident about it, which often happens is I have them bring them all down to their next office visit. Then I can really say, are you taking this? Are you taking that? Or I call the families, hey, do you think mom is taking her medications? Um, and often we get in these prescribing cascades, like you said, okay, this medicine's causing dry mouth. Okay, well, we're gonna prescribe this one or this one is causing dizziness and we're gonna prescribe this one to treat the dizziness. So. That annual visit with the doctor, just going through the med, the meds, that can be 20 to 30 minutes right there. Um, wow. And often patients might not realize that I might not know as a primary care physician what your neurologist or what your cardiologist has done to your medicines. So, you know, having a current medication list, I have some patients that have it on an index card. That's always helpful. Just having a current medication list is very important. And speaking of list and technology, uh, this machine here, um, do you recommend it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you'll see me one phone and raise me another phone. <laughs> but evidently, uh, and I'm technologically challenged, right. uh, as, as Steve, our producer, will attest to, but there are evidently apps on the iPhones and the phones mm -hmm. that you can list, right? All your medical history, medications, yes. et cetera, et cetera. Do right. you recommend that as a doctor? I think that's a good idea for a patient that can use it. Obviously, not all my patients are tech savvy, iPhone savvy, laptop savvy, um, having access to their electronic health record savvy. But yeah, I think that's a good idea if a patient wants to keep up with it. But I also think they could keep a list in their back pocket and update it whenever they see this doctor or that doctor. Do you have any objections of, because I used to do this with my mom, I know lots of people are who've done this, that when you see uh, mom or dad, at their, you know, they're 88, and when they come to you, visit you, the, their adult child comes in to take notes just to make sure. Do you have any objection to that professionally, well, personally? I, I usually, nine times out of 10, love when a family member's involved, they care about their loved one. It's their mother. So I really, I, I actually really love when the family's involved. The only time I have had, um, I, you know, we do sometimes have difficulties with families because patients are sick, they're end of life. 
their issues are challenging, if it's memory issues, if they're no longer able to live safely by themselves and families can't really see that or they can't really accept that. Um, there are so many challenging issues with aging and unfortunately the debility of some of our patients and that can get dicey, that can get upsetting. Um, so sometimes we have really emotionally charged interactions, but I'm, that is I'm part sure of what I do, do every day. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. So do clergy. Um, right. I'm sure we could compare notes. Right. Uh, and they probably have some of the same notes. Um, given also the rapid increase of technology, uh, Jesse, what, what's your opinion of, of telemedicine? And, and do, you, do you do anything uh, electronically? You see patients that way? So we did have the ability to do it during COVID. I had a lot of partners that were in family medicine practices that worked from their couches. Um, with the patients that I see, 90 year old, year old can't add, you know, they can't reliably tell me what's going on with them. Um, I have to see them myself. That's just my preference. I think it's better care. I want to see them in front of me. Um, so I did not practice a lot of telemedicine just because the patients that I see really can't tell me reliably what's going on. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it works great. The um you, we, we alluded to the medicine stuff and everything. So uh, we've uncovered, and, and I, we talked a little bit about this in prep, as late as the other day from a, another article in the Washington Post, there seems to be this um, increase in interest and research in the use of psychedelics, yes. uh, not only in terminal patients, but with cannabis and THC, and I probably don't even know what I'm talking about, but the use of these medications for a variety of reasons. Um, what's your opinion of this? So there, there's so much information. It's almost like a mushroom itself, you know, using ketamine <laughs> for pain, using mushrooms for depression that hasn't uh, responded to traditional medications. They're um, using marijuana um, in so many different forms. If it's edibles, if it's gummies, if it's vaping it. Um, and the evidence we have, at least for marijuana, is not good because it's not FDA approved yet. So I also feel with any, I'm going to talk about marijuana first because I think that's a lot of, a lot of patients are bringing this up. I think it depends on the patient. I think it depends on how they want to take it. As you probably know, there's different forms of marijuana, either THC or CBD. THC is the more potent compound that can make our patients psychotic, delusional, anxious, paranoid. Um, so I think people really have to be careful. And I, I've had uh, children of elderly patients, adult children, ask me, well, can my dad take this or this? And I'll say, it would be okay to try, but please stay with your dad. I'm worried he may fall or get confused. So. You do have to be careful. It's definitely not one size fits all. I'll even share um, a personal story, which is one of my loved ones took a gummy that it was just, it didn't mix well with all his other medications and he fell and he hit his head. And that scares me as a geriatrician. So I think that everyone, I think that there probably is a role if you're taking it for sleep. Um, I definitely think end of life is a totally different ball game with these medicines because your goals are different. Um, but 
we do have to exercise caution. We do. So what I'm hearing you say is, yes, this is a reality now and it's going to increase being a reality. So to be smart about it, talk to your doctor, make sure that, like you said, this is a medication and it goes and it'll get along. Right. It gets along with the other medications. Um, Instead of saying, well, my friend said, I, I am having trouble sleeping. So go to the dispensary and get this. And without understanding that it may impact your blood pressure medication or your heart medication. The American Heart Association did come out with a study that um, it wasn't an extremely detailed study. It didn't track what kind of marijuana um, patients or research participants were using, but the study did find that there was an increased risk in in, um, patients who are regularly using marijuana, there was an increased risk of heart failure and an increased risk of stroke. So that's really serious. And that has to do with the way marijuana works in our blood vessels, increasing the blood pressure, um, some vasoconstriction. So I, again, um, I'm not saying strictly no, that people should not use it, but I think that people need to be careful. And of course, obviously be safe. You can't be driving. You can't be doing anything aside from really being in the house if you're going to use these substances. So if you were to, you know, you, you re- not reduce, but just try to, from what you see in your practice, and again, I thank you for running all over the place with this because it, it's, it's really, 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 really important information. It really is. Um, in this concept of, of living longer, living better, successful aging, and when you're writing your book, <laughs> right? What are the what are the three most important things that my generation has to remember? Because hmm. I'm a tad bit older. Okay, than you. three. All right, I'm gonna just go with the basics, which I really nope. do believe in. Eat a healthy diet. What that means is fruits, vegetables, antioxidants, lean protein, not a ton of our like my favorite foods, cheese. Um, fattening food, saturated fat. So that that Mediterranean diet, I think that's important. Uh, the whole grains, the beans. Um, so what you're consuming, that would be my first, that would be my first thing to remember. Two, the exercise, the activity, we talked about that. It can be a mixture of moderate, intense, and uh, light exercise, but it should be nearly every day, nearly seven days a week for half an hour. Um, And then the third, so we did already talk about sleep. We did already talk about staying active, but I'm actually going to say the third, um, I think the most important from what I see is decreasing our stress levels. And that's really hard. Yes. (laughs) That's really hard in today's age. But so, I, that, that old bumper sticker, stress kills, that's true, right? That's exactly what I was just thinking. Our, everyone's ways to mitigate stress are different, right? So we're figuring out what works for you to manage your own stress levels. Well, coming up, one of the, one of the sessions that we hope to do in this block around health is to talk to some people who are 
really devotees of meditation. Yes. Because I'm finding more and more of our generation that as they let go of some of the stuyot, the stuff, yeah. they found um, spiritual practice and meditation uh, to be very, very helpful. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's, 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 that's cool. So activity, eat healthy, get rid of stress. Medi- you know, that's, oh, I don't that's know if we cool. can get rid of it, but. <laughs> oh, no, I, I know that. Yeah. No, no. And, and as Philadelphia sports fans, we understand that. Um, that should be the biggest stress we have. Right, 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 right. Right. So I really want to thank you, Dr. Jesse Abish. I want to really thank you very much for this time. Uh, it's been very, very helpful. Tons of information. Right. Um, and I wish you could stay healthy and, and say hello to, to JJ for me and the rest I of will. your you family. Take care. And, thank you so much. This was awesome. Happy to be with you. And, and, I, and I look forward for you to come back. We'll, uh, we'll to would love to follow up sometime soon. Sure. So yeah, take we can care, do a doctor. second chapter. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. I'm going to think about Take care, that. Jesse. Thank Be you sure. very much. Take care. Bye-bye. And to all of you, thank you for joining us on today's edition of Secrets of Meaning, the podcast TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. You can follow us uh, at on our website, jewishsacredaging.com. Visit us on the Facebook page uh, of Jewish Sacred Aging. And if you'd like to make a comment or a suggestion, just email me, rabbi address at jewishsacredaging.com. And if you go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, if you'd like to help support our work here in these podcasts, you'll find a very, very conveniently located donate button. You click on that, just follow the prompts. We appreciate your support. And if you, your organization would like to be a sponsor of a series of these podcasts, please just email me and we'll talk to you about uh, inviting you to be a sponsor. Secrets of Meaning is produced at the broadcast centers of Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And as usual, a huge shout out to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. Again, I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and we look forward to greeting you on the next Secrets of Meaning podcast and TV from Jewish Sacred Aging. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, be healthy, and most of all, especially in this day and age, be kind to one another. Shalom to them.